All right, welcome back to another episode. But before we get started, I want to tell you about something really cool happening if you are in New York City. Um, Today's guest is Julian Cole, and he and another friend of mine, Mark Pollard, are going to be putting on a very special jam-packed class uh, to help mid-career strategists, everything you need to know. It's called the Strategy Supersizer Mega Class. Um, These are two smart people who have seen and done a lot in strategy and in uh, creative. So if you're in New York City, they've added a second date. The first one was June 14th, that's a Friday, That might be sold out. Uh, But Monday, June 17th in New York, they've added a second date. You can go to the show notes uh, or go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash strategy supersizer to find the link uh, and register. I encourage you to get in on this class. It's going to be amazing. Now on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. This one is taking us around the world and back. Um, and I, I think that we would say in 90 days, but I think it was longer than 90 days. Uh, Julian Cole has gone on his strategy sabbatical and he's finally returned. He's back in the world, although it's not like you went to another planet. Julian, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be back. And what part of the world are you in now? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, sunny LA. And give me a, give the listeners who do not know you a sense of uh, where you've been and who you were before your sabbatical, just kind of a career recap. Yeah, for sure. So um, from the accent, you can probably tell I'm Australian. Um, started my career out in Australia at um, a number of kind of creative agencies and an agency that was kind of quite... Um, instrumental in who I am now called Naked Communications, who were communications uh, planning agency um, who sat above kind of like media and and creative and came up with their kind of comms plan before the idea. Um, I then moved to uh, the States about eight years ago when I joined uh, BBH New York um, as kind of a digital strategy director, um, kind of slash that. And then I went on to become the head of comms planning there, um, becoming more of uh, not just in the digital channels, but thinking about the whole media environment and how we bring that into the creative process. And that was on the back of um, winning the PlayStation account. So was comms planning across that for the launch of the PlayStation 4. Uh, and then I went on to... Uh, be the head of comms planning at um, BBDO New York, which was um, a bigger agency going from like 100 people to 800, where I ran the comms planning department there. And that took, um, you know, taking the discipline to all of the accounts and building the team from four people to 17 people, and then also winning um, a number of integrated awards. We won the Webby Digital Agency of the Year, um, two years running. We also won more integrated awards um, during the time there than actual like traditional Khan lines. And so I'd done that. Uh, my uh, fiance and I uh, 
had we're Australians and actually we're, we're drawn to travel. I think it's every Australian's just getting out of the country and, and seeing as much of the world as possible. So we decided that we wanted to take um, a year off or, or a big chunk of time traveling. So a couple of years ago, we kind of planned for when that would be. And that just so happened to be last year. So um, actually finished a little earlier than her. Um, so I ended up traveling for about 14 months. I did a month in an agency in Paris called Dare Win, where they took me in and, and I was kind of working on a couple of um, side projects there. And then we started our kind of uh, uh, trip our year off and we, we started in Jordan and went down from Jordan to Egypt to uh, Lebanon to Turkey and then we headed kind of east to Georgia and spent about a month there and then to Armenia and then went through the Stan. So we started in Turkmenistan, then went to Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, then back into Europe through Ukraine and then through Eastern Europe. So we pretty much went up through Poland, Czech Republic, Slovenia, um, Slovakia, and then went up into the Baltic. So Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, uh, Belarus, and then came down and did uh, Romania and also Moldova, followed by jumping to Germany, then over to, for um, one of my close friends, 30th, we, we went from Panama and we sailed a boat from Panama to Colombia. And then after that, um, did the Balkans. So did Greece, um, Albania, uh, wow. Croatia, and then ended up in Africa doing Ethiopia, uh, Kenya and Tanzania. That's, that's, that blows my mind. I don't think uh, Americans are not, uh, as a, as a cultural trait are not known to take those kind of trips like Australians typically do, but even by Australian standards, that's a crazy, <laughs> crazy winding road. Yeah, it was. We, we kind of picked all the countries we thought that you couldn't do in one week. So we really wanted to do, um, probably the harder, some of the harder to get countries where you'd probably be sitting on planes a little bit longer and countries that we thought, um, we, you know, you'd want to be young and energetic to do. But the interesting thing is, is when we're on the road, a lot of the people that we met were actually retirees um, doing a lot of these countries, like the Stans from like Turkmenistan to Kazakhstan. I thought, oh, that would be really adventurous young travelers. No, it's all people who are like, who are actually doing that route are like 70, 60, 70, 50 year olds um, getting out there post-retirement. Why is it just because of the time it takes and the time investment of going to those places? It requires that kind of an older, someone that has more free time. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And I think also there's probably a little bit more fascination around the Silk Road and also um, after the Cold War, they kind of lived through that of not having access to it. So it's probably a little bit more interesting um, maybe to retirees. But I, I think the main point is you've got a little bit more time. Um, we were interested to, we, we really thought we'd see more uh, kind of people our age doing a year off, but we actually didn't meet too many people um, with, with that plan in mind. Well, let's talk a little bit about 
um, I saw you were posting and I was, I was quasi following the adventures as you were going and you were calling it the, the strategy sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And before you took the trip, yeah. was this pure, let's, we, we have this time we're young, we could do it. Uh, or was it, were you looking, was your brain tired and you needed a sabbatical and you were kind of planning against that? Cause as an outsider, we don't know each yeah. other. Um, I got an email, I subscribed to your email and it was like, I'm going on holiday for a year and I'm taking a strategy sabbatical. I'll see you later. Deuces. And that was kind of my exposure to it, but I'm sure people who know you better knew you were planning it. Yeah. Um, not many people who knew me well knew we were planning it. It was really, okay. so it was purely on the fact of our age and um, the ability to do this before we had kids, we thought um, we thought this was kind of a good idea. And excellent yeah. call. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I didn't feel burnt out at all. I actually felt like I was at kind of the top of my game and, and really loving like my time at BBDO. I had an amazing team there, um, and we were kind of thriving. So it definitely probably wasn't. Um, due to burnout or anything that's really interesting so it it was more just prioritizing personal growth and experience with your fiance over the work which was also going great and it wasn't like an escape or a a burnout situation yeah correct Australians a lot of them um used to move to uh London and still do a lot moved to London um to work in advertising over there and so the original dream of like Europe is like if you're working in London, you're taking weekends because everything's so close weekends to go explore and visit other countries. And I've got a few right. friends who do that. And that was always like, I was so jealous. I was like, Oh my God, I want to be like, I want to be doing that. And, um, and there's this thing. And also uh, we have like a gap year when you're like 19 years old and I was like, I want my European summer because everyone knows what that looks like in Australia. They've all seen the photos. And, you know, you go to Oktoberfest, you're down in the Greek islands, you're traveling around, you're like in Rome everywhere. And so to Amber, I was like, we, we had also made a conscious decision that we're probably not, we're, we're thinking about moving to Europe. But um, as this, one of the impetus for this trip was we decided that we want to stay in America. Um, it's better for, she works in music and the States are just so much bigger in terms of a market for music marketing. So that's also why we're in LA um, because this is the city for um, music marketing. So uh, we, we decided that we weren't going to move to Europe, which was kind of the original plan. So I, I still had this dream of the European summer and going to all the European countries so I think that kind of like kicked us in the ass to actually go do it and see all those European countries that all our friends would be uh, visiting. That's pretty crazy. Pretty just an ambitious trip, mm. which tells me a little bit about, <laughs> about who you are, just making that kind of a plan. Yeah. Um, how, how planned out was it beforehand? Was it all dotted in or were you saying, well, we'll go here and then we'll buy the next ticket and figure out where we're going to um, go? It's a bit of, yeah, it's a bit of both. We had a general direction. We had a couple of, I guess, flags in the sand of where we knew we were going to go. So we always knew that we wanted to do Eastern Europe, Central Asia and Africa. 
we just didn't know where we were going to do that and the route that we were going to take um, through there. So it, it changed a lot. Like we, we didn't book anything. We had the trip through um, Central Asia, through the Stans booked. Um, and then we had the trip at the very start, the first two weeks booked. But apart from that, we kind of just free rolled it all. That's really cool. Now, uh, when you came back, were you anxious to get to work or were you kind of like, if I go on a vacation, I'll usually come back and want a day or two to not, not do anything. Yeah. So I can only imagine after a year away, yeah. um, what, how I would feel is I'd probably want 30 days just to be in my house. But how, how did you feel when you got back from that? Sabbatical? So it was actually really funny. So when we were on it, um, because Amber and I are kind of going through the same experience of like, okay, we're, we're, we're now coming out on our own and doing, and doing a, this on our own um, in terms of strategy. We kind of went through like different experiences. Like, so when I started the trip, I thought, okay, I want to come back and I want to get a role as head of planning at a great creative, like award-winning agency. That was the goal. I then went halfway through the trip. I was like, I want to start an agency. Um, and I, and, and this is taking about like 10% of my brain power, um, as I'm doing it, it's not like obsession. I, I really got into kind of other things like really love history. I love walking tours and museums. So that kind of took up a lot of my time, but, uh, I read in like on Kindle Rick Webb's book on transforming agency, uh, like starting up yeah. an agency. He was head of barbarian group and, um, went all the way through to selling it. And after reading that book, um, I sent, I gave it to Amber too. But, so the two of us had really different reactions. Uh, for me, I was just like, no, I don't want to, like, I'm not starting an agency. For her, she was like, oh my God, this is my life calling. I'm going to start a music marketing agency. Um, so I was left in a really interesting position. I was like, what, are, what am I going to do? Because all my life I had thought that, I was going to start an agency. My parents um, were director and producer of TV ads. Um, oh, okay. So you have, yeah. So you've always been dreaming of. Yeah. I, yeah. And it was a production company. It wasn't like a creative agency and it was, it was kind of small, small stuff, but they had always like drilled into me um, two things about working in the industry. They're like, you're going to be uh, kind of washed up at like 45. So plan to not have a job after 45, um, obviously planning for the worst case scenario. And I think something similar happened to my dad. He was a creative director. I mean, he was a director who was quite creative. And after like, you know, 45 kind of ageism set in and he just couldn't get as much work as he used to. So um, that was kind of really critical on his, his life and, and kind of the lessons that he taught me. And then the second piece of advice was um, that if you're going to like make an income out of this and a, a good income, you need to start your own agency. So I'd always planned as the final step and I love people and I love creative. So this was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. But yeah, I read um, Rick Webb's book and I was like, no, that's not the plan for me. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I kind of was like in a little bit of a limbo situation and I kind of would talk, was talking to people about, um, about I, I wanted to jump and you probably saw this through my newsletter. I was interested in jumping uh, brand side because I think I would love to get the brand side experience. And I think the tenure in it as a CMO is, is longer too. 
So I was looking at, yeah. um, especially knowing I'm moving to Los Angeles, what are agencies that I could do that here? And then, uh, and so that was kind of in the back of the brain doing that, but really not thinking about it too much as we're traveling because I'm just loving life. And then, it was more just background processing, just kind of moving from phase to phase of, I want to get into a shop. No, I want to start my own shop. Uh, this book has kind of scared me, but it's not forward. Yeah, not forward. Occupying a lot of your time. You're not waiting. No. And it's getting to the end of the trip. And I really haven't been thinking about like what I'm going to be doing next. And then just luckily, um, Amber picked up this book because she realized she's going to be like freelancing. She was on Reddit, Our Entrepreneur, and found this book by um, Alan Weiss. I think it's a consulting Bible. And she picked that up and she read that and she said, Julian, you got to read this. This is really good. And I read it on my last day on our trip and on the plane home. And as soon as I finished the book, I'm like, that's what I've got to do. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be consulting. And I kind of like just jumped straight into it and like hit the ground running here. Um, and it's been really exciting since then. It's, it's only been a week and a half, uh, but um, it, it's amazing the amount. So my thinking time and when I have all my ideas is like three to five o'clock in the morning and the thoughts that don't like, I wake up with them. I'm like kind of just tossing and turning with them, but I've been having them every single morning and just, and it's been awesome. Like I usually, when I was at BBDO, that happened like maybe for a little spurt of like a couple of days here or once a month, but um, I've been getting them all the time. So I feel really um, re-energized to be um, kind of jumping back in. That's exciting, man. That's exciting that you were, you were able to take that journey in the background and when you it timed out that when you landed, yeah. you had the, the makings of a plan. Cause I was, I was, yeah, I was kind of like freaking out cause I was like, I'm not thinking about work too much. And I'm very, like, when I'm in it, I'm really like in it. And I was like, shit, what if I like get back and just don't want to do work? I was, I was thinking of my backup. <laughs> I had a backup plan, which was I really love walking tours and I was going to do walking tours um, and I like would create my own. I already, when I left BBDO, I actually created a walking tour for BBDO and it was, I was in uh, The Strand, which is an old bookstore in New York and found sure. this amazing book, which was the history of BBDO. And I was able to map out a walking tour through the streets of New York, which talked about the history of BBDO and the history of um, kind of creative agencies in New York. And I, I took my team on it and I took like the CEO and a couple of other people on this, uh, on this creative agency, like the BBDO, history of BBDO um, agency walking tour. And I'm like, I could do that. I could do more. I could do more walking tours. Um, That's pretty yeah. cool. Well, if you think about it, it's not that dissimilar except for the walking yeah. to a lot of what we're doing, which is showing people the path of, you know, why something matters and how to connect disparate items together. It's very true. I didn't think of that. It's good. Oh, see, see what I'm yeah. doing here? Um, I wanted to ask, so I know you, you made a stop in Paris and did some work, but were you, as you were traveling, were you stopping, I think in your newsletter, you were showing different agencies mm. that you were stopping at, or at least different people mm. that you were meeting with. And I, I wanted to know um, what, you, what you experienced 
how the work differs from place to place, or maybe maybe it's better to say how the work is the same. Mm. And in, in the U.S. in particular, there's a lot of talk about what does strategy mean and do clients value it? Um, and I wanted to see if that same debate is happening around the world. Yeah. Uh, the the interesting thing for me is, is that I found was the amount of similarities that they there are amongst people around the world in advertising. So I kind of sent it out on my newsletter and um, planning dirty and there's people all around the world who, uh, have signed up to that. So I would just tell people the countries I was coming up to and then people would email and be like, Hey, I'm here. And then we'd catch up for like dinner or they would show me rounds or we'd just have a coffee. And it's amazing how the similarities of even just like the way we dress is almost like the same all around the world. Um, the conversations you have are, are very similar. And uh, as you're saying, the, the problems are very much the same. You know, the tension with creative, um, the clients not value, valuing strategy, uh, not enough time. These are all things that just kept popping up um, repeatedly. Yeah, it's really, it's it's intriguing to me because I see, you know, on Twitter, I follow strategy people from a lot of places in the world. I wouldn't say everywhere in the world, um, but it seems like one unified conversation for the most part. But I wondered on the ground as you're meeting new people, if you're, if you're hearing the same things and it sounds like you are. Yeah. And is that what, um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your new, um, your new role and what you're doing. Mm. Uh, and it, I have a feeling that those conversations kind of led you to this, to this place. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of people were having the exact same problems that I was facing or that we were facing, um, in the States. And I guess what I realized was that I've kind of built up a skill set and, and the tools to deal with a lot of these problems. And so I guess the consultancy came out of that, that respect is that I felt like there were a number of things that I was doing, um, solutions that I could bring to the table. So a bit of background on like comms planning versus, uh, I guess brand planning is that I see comms planning is really, um, making the lot, uh, work come to life. And, and one of the first, um, kind of, uh, workshops that um, I'm doing is, is something that I'm calling strategy thunder and all, um, great creative deserves thunder. And, and what the idea is, is that, uh, there's so many great ideas. Like I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist and I just see mm -hmm. so much great creative. And the unfortunate thing that I'm seeing is, a lot of um, great creative is dying before it um, goes out into the world. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, maybe there's like limited production budget. There's a media, you know, a media agency who might be a little bit inflexible or have got a locked media plan. You've got um, partner agencies who are kind of treating it like hunger games and very territorial and <laughs> uh, or the creative, you know, the way that we present the idea is kind of more relevant for 1999 and not, you know, made for 2019. And my um, solution is that strategy should help bring these creative ideas to life in innovative ways. And that's um, kind of what 
I, I helped do when we were at um, BBDR and BBH. I really helped. I, I, I went to those two agencies because I knew they were really creatively, they had some of the strongest people in the world. So I knew I'd be immersed and around great creative ideas. And I thought I could bring something to the table because the way my brain thinks and, and the way I think about strategy is also of kind of finding opportunities for creative in non-traditional areas and then making sure that they um, execute, not leaving them, not just doing some upfront sides, but making sure they actually come to life. And I had success with that. And I thought there's a number of agencies that I'm talking to that um, are having this same problem and or are having problems around how are we grappling with our new strategy process. Um, and that's what I'm talking to a lot of people about is like, how do we update our strategy process for today, 2019? And I come with a, uh, a background of, of doing that with comms planning, which is one part of it. But I've kind of found, um, you know, the techniques that I've used to help kind of roll that into an agency is kind of, I think, valuable. Like one of the, the earliest things that I realized was, you know, with comms planning or with bringing any new strategy process into the age in agency, you kind of need what I call like a magnet case. And that's mm-hmm. um, a case study that's really attracting the account people and creative people to kind of knock down the door and say, we need some of that on our account. So at BBDO, I was kind of overwhelmed at first because I'm like, this is an 800 person agency. How am I going to ever roll in comms planning? Right. What I did is I actually took the account where I saw the most opportunity for comms planning to make an impact. We had an amazing, ambitious client. We had a good creative team. And I thought this and a good planning partner, a brand planning partner, I thought this is the account where we can really show the value. So I got um, onto Bacardi and um, worked on that um, solidly like for the first six months to really come out with a cracking case study showing um, what work could do. how comms planning and how the new planning process could work. And it was just like the magnet effect. People came and they're like, we need that on our account. How do we get on there? Rather than, you know, doing the big all agency or all department meeting saying, this is the new process. We we kind of already had that magnetic pull um, working in our favor. Yeah, through through success, you had a campaign that you could show them or an account that you could show them that said, this is, look, look what happens if we do it this way, instead of saying, now you're going to call this person and here's a process flow and a Gantt Yeah, chart. and I think that they were just lessons that I learned from kind of trial and error. And I, I, that's kind of where I thought there's a lot of other agencies who could be, um, who would find this information useful and, and, and a kind of, Oh, for sure. Problem. So that's kind of um, how I set up, you know, uh, what I'm calling, I'm just a strat- strategy consultant, but really working with CSOs to work through their problems because it's also a very lonely job when you're kind of put, rolled into the role of head of strategy or, or chief strategy officer, you're, you're by yourself kind of working it out. And to have someone else who's a sounding board, who's been through those same problems and who's worked some successes through, um, systems that are kind of heavily steeped in politics and, and navigating that and, and understanding diplomacy um, can be valuable. So that's kind of the um, offering that I'm um, kind of coming to CSOs and, and chatting to CSOs about, as well as the actual just hard skills of training as well and, and 
um, teaching people how to do comms planning. I've got a number of artifacts that I can teach um, around comms planning. No, I think that's brilliant. And uh, you said early on in that description, you said that uh, you were hearing the same problems and you have developed the skills to deal with those problems. What to Go into a little bit more detail about what some of those skills are. Yeah, I think there's, I've got a, a theory that, uh, that strategists need to be talking about the taboo subjects more often. And I, I, I call them politics, money, and religion. And I think that if um, planners talk about politics, money, and religion weekly and all the time, we'll become better planners. And politics to me is agency politics and client politics. Um, we live in a world where this exists, there's, there's social dynamics at play and really understanding how um, to get those to kind of work and align together is so important. So um, one of the uh, programs that we ran at uh, BBDO and the comms planning department was um, a diplomacy kind of course. And this was teaching uh, the comms planners, new comms planners, all about diplomacy, like how do you get people behind your idea? How do you work with kind of aggressive media agencies who are kind of like structured in their thinking and how do you pull them around to new innovative ideas? And um, we had kind of a number of ways that you do that, kind of getting s simple things that we kind of take for granted, but the way you kind of approach a meeting, if you've got like, if you're presenting to two people who are more senior than you, you need to have a, uh, a meeting with one of those people to get buy-in before you present a meeting, before you present <laughs> an idea to both of them. Um, yes. And that's like something I learned from mistakes. We had like an amazing program that um, I knew would be, uh, I think it was like a, it was a white paper that I knew was going to really help um, solidify the role of strategy within um, BBDO to, to external clients and, and to the world. Unfortunately, it was, it was kind of a complex issue. It was on um, a complex subject. And what I did is actually went into the meeting with the president and CEO and presented it to both of them at the same time for the first time. And what happened was I, because it was something complex and they didn't really understand, they kind of looked at each other to see if they were going to kind of like sign this thing off or give it the green light. And because of the hesitancy, you kind of had an idea that kind of got, kind of got killed because they just were unsure of where each other sat. And that was kind of a really hard lesson because I'd invested time in that idea. And so for the younger planners to teach them that skill of make sure you're just having the, um, off the record conversations first or floating ideas past other people to get, kind of buy-in in big meetings is kind of critical. And, and that varies from, from agency to agency and client to client. I mean, I think what that, that story is so telling and reminds me of so many horror stories that you hear where planners say, and I worked on this and I had this thing and I brought it in and it, it crashed into the mountain because what I figured out 10 minutes into the meeting, which killed me was this. Yep. Yeah. Ah, and so there's stuff that you can learn around diplomacy. So on two levels, the way I'm thinking about that now is CSOs, like I can talk to them about how they approach different things and just be another voice or another option and give another option to people of, 
hey, have you thought about this? This is what's worked in my past. Maybe you could try that. Or that sounds like a great idea, the way you're thinking and approaching it. The second topic that I think planners and strategists need to talk more about is money. Um, I don't think we we really talk about money enough. And I think it's the key part of strategy because strategy is all, all about making a plan of how to get to A to B with the limited resources you have. And money seems to be a big one of that. And to me, uh, when I'm thinking about how, how do we actually get all these amazing ideas made, money seems to be one of the biggest um, barriers to that. And what I often, um, I was kind of running into this problem a lot when um, I kind of was at BBHM, BBDO, where clients would say that we were the kind of TV agency to them, but we, want, we knew we could make more innovative work. And their, their thing to us was, I'll just come up with some ideas and we'll find the money for it. And we would proactively kind of take monthly sessions to them of, of the type of work we wanted to make and nothing ever got bought. And what I realized was unless you're talking upfront about allocating money and signposting money to an initiative, it will never happen. Like the chances you're taking moonshots really. And what I did is I started to really bring in the production side of things earlier up in the process. So when we were presenting ideas, what I would be doing is actually creating what I call a blueprint, which is taking all the content assets that we're creating, matching them against the communication tasks that they're delivering against, and um, also having the production budget against them. And that required me to get a skill of really budgeting and an estimation of how much money we're going to um, potentially be spending on things. And it also required me to understand on the client side, how much do they usually spend in terms of production dollars versus media dollars and really understanding a method. But once I brought in this kind of new artifact, which is called blueprints and presenting that up front, um, I had an amazing success rate of selling in really interesting, integrated, innovative, uh, creative ideas and executions. Yeah, that's awesome because you're taking the argument or the fear off the table where you say, and I've already done that. We've already done this research. Look how we're going to make it. This is what it's going to cost. Yeah. This is what it is. And we found the money here. Yep. And this is how your budget's going to be doing. And, and you're having the conversation so far upstream that, you know, the creative, the it's, you know, you're not down in the creative presentation, like final executions, all these executions, you're having it so far upstream that you're getting really focused as well. Cause the other thing is, is that you often go into meetings and you get the Chinese menu of ideas or all these amazing innovative ideas. And then the client just buys a TV ad and a of social <laughs> posts and you're like, well, because they, because they know how to pay yeah, for it. Yeah. And so this, um, really, really saved that. And it was, it was interesting kind of selling it into creative too. Cause the first time I used it was at BBH and yeah. I had this amazing ECD, uh, and he, um, I told him about the idea. I, I'm thinking we should talk about money further up in the chain. Like when you're presenting the idea for the first time and he pretty much just said, get the hell out of my office. We're never talking about money up front. You know, we, this is about creativity and great ideas. And, and he said, that's just not how you're going to sell great creative ideas. Went about three different creative campaigns on that, uh, on that idea. And then he came around and said, you know what? bring those blueprints back. I think, I think they can sell. And then we ended up 
really like selling some really great work on the account after that. Oh, that's awesome. And then uh, I think you said the third thing was uh, religion. Religion, yeah. I think to me, you've got to have um, a faith and an understanding of how advertising works. I, I see a lot of planners get into the business and they don't really have a strong understanding of, of, of how advertising actually works. And if you don't have a good understanding of how advertising works, then how are you going to be able to kind of compellingly sell that to clients? And I think that's taking it all the way down to like how we build, you know, um, memory structures and thinking about um, how ideas are kind of born in the head and the, the, psycho the psychology theories around that, as well as things like the media side of it or the more marketing theory side of it from like the Byron Sharps of how brands grow and understanding the IPA and the impact that that has. And I feel like um, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of agencies who are kind of like advertising, like advertising theory light. And I just feel like that's one area that once you have that understanding and at least, a, you know, at least a point of view of how advertising works, then you've got a better understanding of how to sell things through. Oh no, I love it. Yeah. And I've actually, there's a lot of, there's a lot of strategy people who I almost think don't think advertising works or is valuable. Mm. And that's really scary to, to work with someone like that, who is like, Hey, this is never going to work, but let's, let's, I want you to spend three months thinking about yeah. it. It's like, well, that's, that's not the great way to start a project off. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. So, um, how has it been coming back into the States? Uh, great. So yeah. So kind of launched, um, I guess just went out and told people, um, through the newsletter and, and pretty much just through LinkedIn and through a couple of contacts that I'm, um, that I'm going out, um, I'm available for consultancy and I've had a really good response. Uh, I've had agencies, um, kind of CSOs really get in contact and a lot of people say, Hey, this is just perfect timing. We're redoing our, um, redoing our strategy department or, or kind of coming up with a pr process and, and we'd love your help or, or other requests of like, we need to just integrate comms planning. Like I've sold it to clients, but now I need to actually do it and have the tools. So can you, can you come in and, and kind of train a team and, and make this work for us and make this work as an agency process? That's so, awesome. Yeah. I've been um, lucky, lucky to kind of work that out. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's filled me with so much enthusiasm. I'm so excited to kind of get back and, and answer these kind of problems and, and work with kind of CSOs to um, solve, solve these issues because this is the stuff that I love doing. I want one more question and then, then I'm going to let you go and get on with your uh, day. But how you mentioned training there and training is an area I've been um, very interested in. And as you traveled around the world and met with people um, in the U.S., I mean, you've worked at BBH and BBDO and, and I'd spent time at large agencies where there is training, but at midsize and smaller agencies, a lot of training is doing or training is non-existent and go figure it out for yourself. Mm. Kid. How, how under-trained are strategy people in your experience and your opinion, you're meeting people around the world and what's the need there? 
Well, I, I, to me, I think it's, it really comes back to um, the a- agency doing it too and, and being proactive. I think the agencies that are really trying to like change and transform, <laughs> they, they know the value of training and that's, that's how we're going to like scratch up and, and get up there. Um, so I think I see that they're investing in training. The agencies and the people that I've talked to who uh, that's not the, the goal, it's like just kind of we're happy to keep going along this path. Yeah, they're not investing in training or, or, or thinking about the future, but it's the ones. Um, there was a quote from the CCO, David Lubars at BBDO of like never letting the cement dry um, was the kind of, kind of the idea at BBDO and that really drove everything. And, and, and really I, I took that on with the comms planning department. I was like, all right, well, we're going to train, we're going to, you know, we're going to make, um, upskilling like a focus of the department. And I actually made the vision of the department was we were going to be, um, the, like the Harvard MBA of, um, planning. And so the idea there was with Harvard MBAs, you actually, you know, you know, it is this rigorous place where you're kind of like training really hard and you're learning really fast. But the other part about it was that you were actually evaluated by your peers and how much your peers helped you out as well. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to kind of create was like, hey, everyone's got great knowledge. You need to share it here. And we'd have like Wednesday morning meetings and it would be everyone from the team, from the very junior to the very senior, sharing their case studies, sharing their learnings, explaining new things to the team. And I think that's the culture that you've got to create and and not wait for, um, you know, the conference or the online, you know, online course. And I'm, I'm doing all these things. Like I'm going to make an online, like I'm in the process of making an online course. But I, right. Of course. You're not saying those things are bad. No. You're, you're saying internally for the culture, it's, it's got to be shared there first so the other people can benefit. Yeah. From it. And it's just not like if you, if you want to upskill yourself, you, I think find ways to work with other people and other departments, even other departments. If you're even a strategy department of one, there's so much to be learned from producers there's so much to be learned from account people um, on the job. So that's that's kind of what I think you need to do. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, I think uh, I'm glad that you're you back from your trip and re-energized, or I guess re-energized is the wrong word. You were never not energized, but I'm glad you're back and energized. It sounds like you're going to make an impact here. So welcome back. Thank you. All right. This was awesome. Um, hey, where can people find you? You mentioned I'm a subscriber to the Planning Dirty newsletter. Where can people sign up for that? Uh, so we'll put a link in the show notes. For um, sure. Because there's no cl- clean, like, it, it's just a MailChimp link, which has worked so far. So good so far. I had a website, but there was no point in it. Um, so I've, <laughs> I've got that. So I'll put that in the show notes. But also um, on LinkedIn, I'm Julian Cole. Twitter at Julian Cole and get in, get in touch there. Um, I think if you've got any, if you're, I guess, yeah, if you're a CSO and you're thinking about any of these problems of training or need help with kind of process and operationalizing things, that's kind of my wheelhouse. So get in touch. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you for making time this morning. I really appreciate it. No worries. Talk to you soon. All right. So long.